0: Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 446th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who grinds out award-winning chocolate with an international flavor. We're talking with Casey McCaslin about making craft chocolate. Casey is one of the creators of Stone Grinds Chocolate, a small-batch company driven by quality and craft. She is a self-taught chocolatier with a background in nutrition who specializes in small-batch, single-origin craft chocolate while sourcing cacao from all over the world, giving customers a glimpse and taste from different growing regions. Her free time is spent playing in the garden, painting and hanging out with her adorable pup, Finley. Welcome to the show today, Casey. Are you ready to rock chocolate? Let's rock. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've always, from the time I was a little girl, I've always just been kind of fascinated and in love with nature. That was my my safe place, being around plants. I grew up in the country in North Carolina, so I always was outside doing stuff. And my family was always really involved in making stuff. I was really blessed. My dad was always building something, very hands-on, teaching us how to do stuff. And that was just kind of instilled in my nature. So as I got older and... Uh, that kind of that love for nature and just being crafty. I got into making a lot of my own food and also growing my own food, Mm -hmm. just getting interested in where food comes from. Like, I thought that was really cool. So when I got to college, I had decided that I was going to study nutrition and kind of carry that path. And But at the same time, I was becoming more involved with the local food scene and getting involved with farmer's markets. All of a sudden, I just had this big idea that I was going to start my own small business. It just kind of came to me and I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew that I wanted to be do something of my own and be self-sufficient in some way. Mm-hmm. I started experimenting with a lot of different stuff. I started making all kinds of things that I thought I might be able to sell at the farmer's markets, like kale chips and nut butters and all this different stuff. I was watching a video one day, just YouTubing, and I saw this person making chocolate, and I realized that I knew nothing about this kind of magical food uh, other than I really like to eat it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I got really fascinated and interested, and I needed to know more. And the more I found out, the more hooked I became because it was just totally magical to me that, that this was a fruit growing in the tropics and that it was had so much history and culture and just, it was so much more than just a like a sweet little candy. And so, yeah, I started making small batches of chocolate in my mom's kitchen. And at that time, I applied for a farmer's market and got accepted and that was like seven years ago, so that was kind of the birthing of Stone Grind, how it all started. Ever since then, I've just been learning as I go, just teaching myself different methods, yeah, and just getting more and more involved in the community.
0: As a lifelong learner, I'm always mm-hmm. curious, you know, so, mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like that's how you got into chocolate.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's kind of funny, I sometimes I, I look back and the evolution of how everything is is really cool to see the process unfold. Yeah, it was just it was a lot of fun.
0: Nice. So one of the things that you said, mm-hmm. you called chocolate a fruit. Yes. Say <laughs> more about that because that that was like out of left field for me.
1: Okay. So cacao is a grows on a tree that grows solely in the tropics. It is a giant fruit. It almost looks something like a gourd or like a it's like a big pod and it has all these tiny little seeds inside that are going to be scooped out, fermented, dried and then eventually shipped to people like me so we can make chocolate. Uh-huh. Which a lot of people aren't familiar with that at all. They just see chocolate in the store and you know, that's that's kind of the that's chocolate. That's that's the end of the story. So I feel really I don't know, I'm really excited to be in this whole world of understanding more about the process.
0: So tell me about the process. You start with these little gourd thing, but you're not doing the harvesting and fermenting. You're buying the seeds then.
1: Correct. So I'm currently, I'm sourcing cacao beans from four different farms, all out of Central and South America, although it grows all around the equator. So in this realm of 10 degrees North and South, so you can find cacao as high as Mexico and lower into South America, even parts of like Australia, I think, and Asia. But our process starts with sourcing the beans, finding farms that we want to work with, farms that are ethical and sustainable. And yeah, so we we buy the beans. We, we start out by roasting them. We crack them open. Um, there are these almost like look like almonds um, with a little shell on the outside. Mm -hmm. So they have to be roasted initially and then cracked open uh, to remove the little husk on the outside and get to the center part, which is called the nib. Uh, The nib is where all the chocolate flavor is, all the nutrition, um, the stuff that we want to work with. So once we get that cracked open, we start grinding the chocolate, basically taking the hard, crunchy nib piece and refining it into like a chocolate liquor which is just a a liquidy state of the chocolate. So it turns into that state because as we're grinding, there's heat and pressure applied in the grinder. Uh So it refines into this nice, almost like watery consistency.
0: So you don't have to add liquid?
1: No, no, no. It's just the natural fats in the cocoa bean that are kind of being broken down over time Mm -hmm. and changing the consistency into a, a smoother texture. So I spend about two days grinding, and then I do a process called conching. Chocolate or cacao, I should say, is most beans have a lot of acidity to them and astringency just naturally. So the conching process is really helping to relieve some of those acids just naturally. So basically what I'm doing is I'm pushing the grinders and I'm creating a little bit more heat and friction to help those volatile acids come out. So. That you can have chocolate without all the astringency and without all the bitterness.
0: Well, but for for those of us that like seventy or eighty percent dark chocolate, mm-hmm. that's where that that's that astringency that you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah. So you're always going to have some of that astringency. Cacao is naturally it's a it's not a sweet food. The beans all range in flavors. Some are fruitier. Some are more bitter. Some are more astringent. And it's just a process to kind of work some of that excess out. So you're always going to have a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of that, those tannin flavors as you get higher in your percentages of chocolate, like 70%, 80 90%, um, things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So now, now we have this astringent dark liquid. How do we make it into something that we love so much?
1: So the next step is adding what other additional flavors, so things like sugar or I do a lot of flavors like flavored bars. So like raspberry, sea salt. I do a line of coconut milk chocolate. So I'll add coconut milk and add those ingredients in. And then the next step is going to be to temper the chocolate. Tempering is a really interesting process. It's um, something that's unique to chocolate. It's the heating and cooling of the chocolate liquid to create this nice texture and consistency so that it stays like that. So we take the chocolate out of the grinder. It's liquidy, it's hot, and we put it into a tempering machine, which is going to heat and cool the chocolate, which is setting the fat molecules that are in the cacao beans to crystallize and Mm -hmm. be in kind of like a perfect form. So that's why when you open a chocolate bar, it's always really shiny and looks nice. It's got a nice snap to it. Um, that's the tempering aspect of
0: chocolate. Ah, cool. So how do you go about discovering what you're going to flavor your chocolates with?
1: Really just trial and error. I mean, that's been our experience of just seeing what works. One of the really exciting things about doing chocolate like this is sourcing beans from different farms and uh, the different growing regions the beans always have a little bit of different flavor. Like I said before, like some beans are really, really fruity. Like Madagascar is a known region to have, it's just extremely fruity chocolate, like Uh almost tasting like pure citrus in the chocolate, like something was added to that. And so we get that bean and we decide after tasting it how we want to take care of it. You know, do we want to roast it heavily to tone down some of those fruity flavors? Or do we want to keep those fruity flavors alive and do a very light roast, and a light conch, and keep those present? So, yeah, it's all just, and, and that's the fun part too, is getting to make my own way and decide what I want to do, what I like, and hopefully get other people excited about it as well. Mm.
0: Well, I, I know you got our clan over here at the Urban Farm excited about it because I bought yeah. some of your stuff <laughs> maybe a year and a half ago. And and since then, I've been trying to get you to come in and share your story because it's such a great one. So, oh, yay. Well,
1: thank
0: you. Yeah, you yay, bet. Yay, I'm glad
1: you guys like it. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So you said berries, actually flavoring them with berries. hmm So you actually purchased some dwarf black mulberry bushes from us this year? Yeah,
1: At the, I did. At the,
0: at the Fruit Tree Program? Yeah. And I'm sitting here in my office looking at a hedgerow of dwarf black mulberries that are loaded with mulberries. Oh, Maybe. Sounds like we need to
1: collaborate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> maybe we need to uh, get you over here and harvest some of these berries and, uh, and do a, yeah. a mulberry chocolate. I'm excited about that. Uh,
1: yeah, that would be amazing. I'm totally down to do that.
0: So you mentioned these farms around the world. Have you visited with them?
1: visited a couple and I've been in contact with a lot of these farms just directly through email and Mm -hmm. Skype and phone conversations. And that's one of the other really special parts about being involved in craft Chocolate. You're really concerned about the process, how the farming is going, you know, what steps are being taken to be sustainable in the, the agricultural process. And Yeah. And finding these new places and these unusual flavors too. One of the farms we work with, they are really creative with how they take care of their beans. So all cacao is going to go through this harvesting, then fermenting, then drying process. And this farm goes one step further of using different like banana leaves and different kinds of fruits during the fermentation process. So you're getting these, small nuances of those flavors in the finished product, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a lot of people are getting really creative and trying new things out. I had worked out also with another farm. They had traditionally beans are put in big crates and they're turned a couple times during the fermentation process to create a little agitation. And this farm was going even further and doing double turns and triple turns to create more and more agitation, to create more and more flavor, which is really cool, too. That was a bean I had a couple of weeks ago, and that was awesome.
0: Wow. When you say small batch, are we talking 10 bars, 100 bars, 1,000 bars of chocolate? So, small
1: batch for me is somewhere between two and 400 uh, per week, and that's a, a pretty small scale in the world of chocolate. Mm-hmm. So... I have eight tiny little grinders that run consistently and they're producing just tiny little batches. I do a lot of test batches during the week with Uh trying out new beans like I was talking about, trying out new flavors.
0: So I've noticed that you've gotten some notoriety, you've won some awards, uh, awards for chocolate. This sounds like fun. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, it's been really amazing. This past year, I won a Good Food Award which is a national like artisan market competition throughout the U.S. They recognize people who are not only making really good food, good tasting food, but making food that is sustainable and that is concerned with, like I was talking about, the process of agriculture, how that's being taken care of, the ethics of it. So that was really awesome. I got to go to San Francisco and there were a lot of other food makers that I was familiar with and got to meet and greet with them. So that was that was really cool. Also had placed in the International Chocolate Awards last year, which was amazing and totally... Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. It was very humbling and just a, a good confidence booster, um, letting me know that I, I'm... I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So that felt really good. I got to meet a lot of chocolate makers from all over the world, people that I didn't think that I would ever get to meet. And that was just incredible. I felt like I was meeting movie stars or something, you know? It's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Right. But yeah, that's been really, really good. Got a lot of good feedback from that too.
0: That's awesome. How has your background in nutrition sparked this or helped this? And how does that play?
1: Well, when I I first started, it was just my kind of gateway into, you know, really getting involved in making my own food. As I learned more about just our food systems and nutrition in general, I had started, already started growing a lot of my own food, and then I was, just got super interested in making stuff on my own. I felt like it always tasted a little bit better, and it was just more interesting and fun so that was my my gateway into just researching and uh, discovering how to make chocolate.
0: Nice and challenges getting your business started. If you looked back, you said it's been seven years. Yeah, uh,
1: almost seven years.
0: Almost seven years. If you look back, what what has been one or two of the challenges for you know anybody starting a business that you would look back at and say, ah oh, man, I wish I would have known not to do that or I should have done this.
1: I think the biggest challenge, I mean, when I first started, I, I had no experience in business at all. I, I didn't know how to do anything. It was really just a, a learn-as-I-went process. Mm-hmm. And so I think the most important thing for me, in that was, like I said, just learning as I went and taking kind of every experience as, well as a learning process.
0: You said that you started at a farmer's market. How easy is that? And do do you suggest that people start at the farmer's markets?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. The farmer's market has been just an amazing platform to jumpstart my business and network and meet people, especially people that are like-minded. You know, it seems like everybody that's going to the farmer's market is interested in Getting to know their food, getting to know their sources, and yeah, just things like that. I've met a lot of great people and great people to network with through the farmer's market.
0: How easy or hard is it to get into one?
1: Uh, It depends on what you're doing. One thing that's really nice in Arizona, we have like a home baker's law. You can produce food out of your home as long as you're not using certain perishable ingredients. So you've got it here in Arizona, California, which was really nice for me because that is that's how I got my jump start. Uh-huh. I was just using dried cacao beans and different forms of sugar, and so I was able to do this right in my mom's home kitchen so when I first started and that was really nice because financially I had just a, a place that I could start out and and kind of grow, at a slow nice progressive rate
0: mm-hmm. so
1: I definitely recommend the farmers market it's, it's such a it's also such a nice like it's an inspiring place you're, you're oh, yes. meeting so many different kinds of people that are interested in so many different things relating to food and small business in general so it's a, it's a really good place to connect and get inspired for your own projects.
0: Amen to that. I'll tell you, there, you it, you're, you're right. It is a very exciting place to hang out at farmer's markets. Yeah. So do you sell your chocolate anywhere other than the farmer's market? I do.
1: I sell here locally in the Valley to a lot of different bodegas and artisan markets and shops. I have them listed all on my website, so z.com. I also sell online so you can purchase any of the bars that I'm currently
0: making through the website. Beautiful. And that's S-T-O-N-E-G-R-I-N-Z dot com? Yes. Perfect. What's your favorite flavor?
1: I really enjoy just the plain single-origin chocolates that I make, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I I like pure chocolate. And like I was saying before, the, the exciting thing about having single-origin, You could have all the bars at a 70%, but all the bars are going to taste different because they all have this different essence of where they're coming from. Currently, I am doing a Bolivia 70%, a Peruvian 70%, a bar uh, made with uh, beans from Ecuador, so Esmeraldas Ecuador, and then another farm in Ecuador in Seracita, and they all taste completely different, which is really cool. So I, I like to do... I like to do my own little chocolate tastings at home. I have a couple pieces of each and like to taste them. And depending on where they are as far as... To me, chocolate tastes different when it comes... It's it's an organic food, so the process and the flavors are always kind of changing. Yeah. It comes out of the grinder, tasting one way, and then the next day it might taste a little different. And in two weeks, uh, some of the flavors might have mellowed out, so it tastes even a little different. So, it's always just a fun, like evolving process. And yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things about Spocklet.
0: Wow. What a cool business to be in. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So, I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it.
1: I really try not to look at anything as a failure. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I have a lot of happy accidents and I have made a lot of mistakes, things in retrospect that, you know, but I think I, I've learned from all those and they've really set the foundation for my growth. So I try not to look at it as anything as failure.
0: Nice. I love that you used happy accidents. (laughs) Bob Ross. (laughs) And I, and your takeaway, I like this, your takeaway is that they're not failures, they're learning opportunities. And that's Ultimately, the reason I ask this question is because, yeah, you know, when people say, "Well, I killed plants," I always tell them, "I promise you, I've killed more plants than you have." Not on purpose, but that's how we learn. Now you know how yeah, not to, exactly. right? Now you know how not to do it. Yeah. So, what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Just having the courage to start my own business um, was a huge personal success, and through my business, I found a lot of kind of my voice and what I'm passionate about. So, yeah, I think that's been my biggest success. I found that confidence in myself to do what I love.
0: Beautiful. So what drives you?
1: I think learning drives me. Kind of going with my last two answers, I'm I'm just, I, I love to learn. I love to understand things. I think that in learning new things, I become more understanding of just the world in general and the people in it, and... That always is a humbling process. And through that process, you realize there's a lot of good and there's a lot to be amazed by in the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to learn new things. I think that's the key.
0: Yeah. And uh, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. This is my all-time favorite book. It is a fiction book. Elizabeth Gilbert is the author who... A lot of people are familiar with Eat, Pray, Love. Yep. So she's the author of that book, and this is one of her later books. And it is just—it's an awesome adventure. She's a great storyteller. So, and kind of the main character learning who she is and her own personal growth, and she does it in such a magical
0: way. I think I have a signed copy of this book on my shelf that I've read, but it Ah. was—it was a long time ago. This was a this was a story of a woman and how she grew up over generations, practically, right? Yeah. And it happened in the, what years was it?
1: So this is, I think, in maybe the late 1700s, I want to say. Right. Yeah, her dad was, so this is also a great book if you're interested in plants at all. It's it's yep. a fantastic story. Her father was a, a worldwide botanical explorer, and it's kind of her process of growing up underneath this very powerful, confident man and finding herself, yeah, throughout the book. So it's, it's definitely my favorite and it's one I recommend all the time.
0: One of the things that I walked away from that book with was a different understanding about time. So there's the time that we live, which is human time, but I walked away from that book, reading that book with a sense of geologic time, which happens over thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years Um, and that was because of her exploration of looking at the history of plants
1: right yeah yeah it's it's such a it's such a great book you
0: just everyone has to read it yeah perfect then the name of it again is
1: uh the signature of all things
0: the signature of all things it it definitely was an interesting intriguing amazing book Mm -hmm. so if you had one piece of advice for our listeners what would it be
1: just do it Still a Nike slogan But just whatever you're thinking about Doing, just start And that was the biggest piece for me Just taking baby steps And building on that Because if you think about things For too long, they might pass you by Or you know, you might not be in the right position So whatever you're thinking about doing Just
0: do it Awesome, awesome, awesome Thanks. I'm a, a big proponent of going out and being epic every day, whatever your epic is. So Mm -hmm, I'm on board. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Casey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's talk about how people can taste your chocolate.
1: If you're local in the Phoenix Valley, you should come visit me at a farmer's market. I have three going on Saturday mornings at the Uptown Phoenix Market, which is at Bethany and Central, the Old Town Scottsdale Market, in downtown Scottsdale and also the downtown Gilbert Market. And so those all pretty much run from like 8 to noon, 8 to 1 every Saturday morning. And if you're not local, you can find me online at the website we mentioned before, StoneGrinds, S-T-O-N-E-G-R-I-N-D-Z.com. You can purchase all the chocolates available there. Or just if you want to connect with me, you can connect with me through there.
0: Beautiful. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash stone grinds. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm
1: Podcast.